0: You're listening to Why We Do What We
1: Do. All right, everyone. This is Abraham, Ryan O, and Shane. And this is Why We Do What We Do, your
0: favorite consumable psychology podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it.
1: Yeah, that's turning into a thing. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So today, what do we have in store, Abraham? Well, you know, one thing I've always thought that was interesting is if you've ever wondered, sometimes I think it's fun to just sort of speculate on this stuff, but if you've ever wondered if when we look at something, we see the exact same thing. So if I look at like the color red, would you see the same color that I see? Or did you just learn to call whatever you see red? Like maybe you see blue. And you don't actually see red, but everyone always said, this is what red looks like. And so you always just call it that red, even though we see different colors. Have you ever thought about that?
0: Yeah. My cousin used to ask me this when we were in like middle school, high school, he'd be like, he was really stuck on this for like, I remember an entire summer. Do I really (laughs) see the same things that you're seeing? It would trip him out. And I was kind of like, uh, it seems to be that we see the same things, but like, I don't know how to go past, you know, this discussion and like really understand what you're seeing. So I just always kind of
2: shrugged it (laughs) off after that.
1: That's fair. What What about you, Shane?
2: Yeah, I remember one time I asked my brother um, whether or not his blue was the same as my blue, and he couldn't answer. And then he just stopped talking to me for a year.
1: Uh, (laughs) Relationship (laughs) ruins.
2: Yeah, it was a bummer. He was like, he uh, he still like makes fun of me for asking questions like that. But it was like I had always wondered: Am I seeing the same? We can both identify blue, but is my blue the same as your blue? And I remember having that conversation with him
1: at a pretty early age. Well, we don't ask hard questions here. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so, just I mean, just I do know that my understanding
0: is there's generally kind of three types, right? Like you either see black and white. Apparently, you see two different colors, or you can see potentially three different colors and the multiples of all those, right, Abraham? You know, actually, I haven't heard of black and white. Is that just a? I know that's a false thing when it comes to dogs, but I thought it was still a thing that happens. Is Okay, I guess we'll dive into
1: that. Yeah, uh, I haven't heard of that, and I'm not sure. The only way that that would sort of more or less make sense as far as I can tell is if pe- someone was born with only cones in their eyes. But even then, they would see sort of a bluish hue to things. Okay. So, I'm Monochromatic unclear. still, though, right? Possibly. Okay. That could that could be the case. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't heard of that one specifically, but that uh, way to throw me off guard. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's okay. Get us back That's on track. Okay. Well, I mean, we'll get into the extent to which it's possible for us to be seeing totally different things. The short answer to that is, no, we're probably seeing about the same thing, and there's a reason for that. We could be seeing slightly different hues of the same thing, depending on a a few factors. But for the most part, we're seeing the same thing. But what's interesting about humans is that most animals only see two colors. Now, they can see every blend of those colors that's available to them, but they're they're called dichromatic, which is to say that their eyes only have two types of cones in them that only respond to a couple of different types of colors and all the variations that can exist inside of those colors. So that means that they might see... Several colors that to them would look completely identical and to us would look completely different from one another because they just won't have the vision to distinguish them. But what's so interesting about humans is that we have three different color cones in our eyes and we can see any combination of red, green, and blue wavelengths of light, which is to say that we can make some very different distinctions in the colors in the world around us than those mammals that only can see those two things. So relative to a lot of other species on the planet, humans actually have pretty good vision for the most part. Also, we have pretty sharp vision. A lot of other uh, mammals might see things a little less clearly defined than we can. Although their vision might be better than mine when I'm not wearing my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> So what's interesting, too, is that there are others that have a greater
2: uh, color vision range, like some birds, fish, and crustaceans. And specifically, the mantis shrimp has uh, 16, right? So like they have a pretty significant range compared to humans. Su- like Supposedly, they're supposed to be able to see quite a bit more in the color spectrum than we can.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's more than five times the number of cones that humans have in their eyes. So in addition to the fact that these mantis shrimp can see up to five times more colors than humans can... Uh, They can also see something called polarized light, which is simply when light – well, simply, I say. I'm not even sure I can explain it any better than just giving you the definition, uh, which is that um, polarized light waves are those in which vibrations occur in a single plane. um, And those can – the light waves can become polarized, especially when they're refracted off of things. So that's something that also humans don't get to see. But shrimp and – and even I've heard that there are some crabs have more color cones in their eyes have the at least the biological preparedness to respond to a huge range of the light spectrum different from what humans are capable of seeing, this relatively narrow uh, three-color band inside of what we call the quote-unquote visible light spectrum, even though visible in this case really only means visible to humans, because that spectrum is much is shifted very differently for other animals, such as those birds that we mentioned, a lot of them can see ultraviolet. Uh, butterflies can see ultraviolet and so for them the visible light spectrum is a different portion of the electromagnetic spectrum than what humans can see but either way the point being that the extent to which you can respond to variations in that spectrum depends at least in part on how biologically prepared your the the organism is to be able to react to those things by having the the cones necessary to distinguish those colors well stated. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.
2: Yeah, I don't know what I could say so to that.
1: I
0: think the, the so the question today is really like what we're going to explore this question of like, what would the universe look like if we could see more of the light spectrum? Right. So this, if if this visible light spectrum was expanded somehow because we had the ability of like some superhuman
1: powers to see more detail. Right. And we haven't even gotten to the cool point about this whole episode, which is that um, although humans are usually trichromatic, there are a few people who are born with an extra uh, with an extra set of cones in their eyes called tetrachromats. Um, And this condition, you could call it called tetrachromacy, which is to say that they should be able to theoretically respond to a greater range of colors than humans can. So I think then it's important to begin understanding a little bit of how we know this. And part of this is simply understanding sort of how light works and what electromagnetic frequencies are.
0: So yeah, my understanding of radio waves and waves and light waves is that there's just simply different frequencies at which these things are occurring. So radio waves are all around us. So I'm told, Um, but they're not frequent enough for us to actually
1: see. So they're not like within that visual spectrum What do you mean by waves? That is to say that there's electromagnetic radiation, which is essentially just energy. Energy moves at particular frequencies. Some of them are long and slow. Some of them are short and fast. And then there's everything in between. And at a certain range of those frequencies, we detect that as light that is visible to us. And we only see it when it reflects off of surfaces. Um, Light doesn't actually directly enter our eyes. Correct. And so there's three cones, your red, blue, and green cones
0: that, quote, detect this, Right. And my understanding is there's roughly 100 shades for each, your red, blue, and green. With those three possibilities, if you multiply 100 times 100 times 100, what you get is up to around a million color possibilities. But I've heard that there's up to 2 million as well. And I read that in some of the research that are within the
1: possible range or frequencies that humans could see. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think we're sort of getting into the math of this and and what is conceptually possible without actually having tested a million different responses to see that someone could visually de- detect the differences between a million different colors. Yeah, and if someone wanted an
0: example of this, sometimes in like music
1: videos, you'll see this like color
0: shift that happens where they will like purposely purposely bump the blue, the greens or the reds for like this cool visual effect so you can see like TVs and like the camera systems photography are built around this assumption that it's the red blue and green that uh combine so like that's that's how we see imagery that's how you're seeing the the tv screens and the pictures that you see your iphones whatever it is that you're on like everything's built out of this red blue and green so it's an interesting thing that if there were uh, a subset of humans that had a ability to see different frequencies would they be seeing you know more rich experience or one that wasn't necessarily intended because the photographer, videographer, whoever designed that technology wasn't seeing what they could see.
1: Right. Yeah. And um, whether or not those people would pick out colors that look even better together because they see certain things that we're not really seeing when we look at those colors or they'd be worse because they would see things that matched uh, that when we look at them, they seem like they don't match at all. It's just, it's really interesting. And we'll get a little bit into the fact that because this is pretty rare, it's hard for us to tell the extent to which that would be the case, that they would just respond to things that much differently than, than people who have the more common trichromatic vision. So from my reading, Abraham, apparently I
0: found that 1% of the population may have this abnormality. It uh, sounds like it's genetic with a fourth potential cone that they call the yellow cone, which would allow for this, quote, superhuman ability to see more colors. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, the the estimate is that there is about that many people in the population that that could potentially have this genetic variation. Now, some I saw actually even speculated it could be as high as 50% of the population has um, these extra cones, but that really it's that 1% would be actually functional. And that's yeah, because like using it, right? Right, yeah. That they yeah. because and there are a lot of things that go into vision besides just the fact that we have cones, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. But yeah, the, it's possible that there are quite a few people who have extra cones in their eyes, but they don't. Those cones don't do anything different for them. It's really just that they're there and cool. But um, we they just respond to the the normal trichromatic uh, visual stimulation that most people do. But that is a yeah, fun. So it fact. gets into this
0: discussion of like whether or not it's unclear if you can actually describe what you're seeing. So it's this, do you have the quote, like hardware, the biology, but do you also have the ability to then use that? Right. Yeah.
1: Shane, you were going to say, gonna yeah, s-
2: no, as I was gonna say, uh, it's, it's, I guess it would be like a cool fun fact. Like you're in third grade and you're doing like show and tell and like, you don't have anything to show, but you're like, I can see, I have a fourth cone, like <laughs> I have a yellow <laughs> cone do you. So, but I get going back like you wouldn't really know. It's hard to describe like cuz we have such a hard time describing color anyway and describing what we see that it, unless you got specific tests, if there are specific tests for it, you wouldn't really know that you had a fourth uh, fourth cone.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think um this is a good time to bring up the fact of how language can potentially play a role in the extent to which we distinguish colors because even though it seems like it's pretty straightforward we either see them or we don't, there's some evidence to suggest that people that have language that specifically differentiates certain shades of colors or or different colors, or maybe even omits certain colors or shades of colors from their language, they will then respond to the colors that they do have words for more strongly than the colors that they don't. And Again, bringing in this fact that the community that we have around us, that we have developed a language with, um, and this is shaped over time through our cultures and through uh, usually geographical regions where people sort of spend time together, and that they learn to communicate in a very particular way, and that um, we are likely to be more sensitive to certain colors if that community has more language about those colors, such that we are we, we are specifically taught to notice the differences, right? And so what could be going on here is that there are people who have these extra set of cones in their eyes, but because they don't exist inside of a community, typically speaking, that also has those cones in their eyes, they don't develop any additional language around the extra things that they might be able to perceive. And so there might be an opportunity there if people who had these uh, that, that were that had tetrachromacy these people who were tetrachromats to like work together to develop language to help them more differentially respond to those those types of things that they can see so that they can just have a more robust language about it and potentially even i guess boost if you will or increase the extent to which that they can respond and um see those differences in those colors and and be able to talk more clearly about how they see them as being different. I know I made the mistake one time when I was back in high school there was a student who was um uh, visually impaired, impaired to the point that it was 100% visually impaired like couldn't see anything at all like because there's, there's there's levels of visual impairment where it's um yeah. it, like a lot of your vision is gone but you can still see a small portion of the world right um, th- this particular individual had 100 just did not ha- ever develop any visual i don't know if it was something wrong with his eyes or something else but um i remember trying to explain to him what the color blue looked like and he's just like i don't i don't know what that means you know i'd say like well it's sort of a light color he's like there's no difference between light and dark to me like i don't know what that means I'm like but it's sort of like you know it Uh, I don't know, (laughs) tried so hard to explain. And I just you just it's really, really difficult if you don't have any kind of history with those visual stimuli to to talk about them. And uh, similarly, for people who are dichromatic, that they they are missing one set of cones or or they don't work. And so those are sort of often referred to as being colorblind, which is to say that they just don't respond to the same colors that that most humans would respond to. You can't just, you know. Explain those colors to them. It just doesn't seem to work that way. But for those people who do have those cones, potentially they could explain them to one another and it would make sense to to talk about them that way. Alright, another thing that makes it complicated in understanding the extent to which uh, human tetrachromats would be able to see um, these other colors, maybe, and and why it might be the case that even if people have an extra cone, they still wouldn't see that color, is that there are other steps to vision besides just the fact that we have cones in our eyes. One of them is that our cornea, the little like hard marbly thing that sits on top of our eye, that refracts light. So when light hits the cornea, it breaks it into those color bands. And for the most part, it seems to break them up into those three color bands. And so even if you had extra cones, if your if your retina ref, uh, refracts light in only a very particular way, then it's going to be difficult to access any of the different colors except the ones that are broken. Now that being said, I don't actually think that a lens is capable of really telling, like, distinguishing which colors it's going to refract. Like if you look at like a prism, it doesn't choose which colors to refract; it just breaks the light into the sort of seven frequencies that we can most clearly sort of distinguish. But that being said, like it could be that it emphasizes certain colors more than others in the way that it's shaped. And so you sort of have to have the right combination of having the right colors and having a retina that's going to break apart those colors so that they are all relatively easy for those cones to be stimulated by, if that makes sense. Yeah. Follow me? Yeah, yeah. So essentially what you're you're saying is like, if
2: there is some kind of breakdown in the hardware, you're not going to be able to see those color bands in the same way that somebody who like is born with the equipment that is working properly. Like they're going to see it a certain way. And maybe that we might, we might not even know if they are seeing it the same way, but we assume that somebody born with the hardware is seeing the same three color bands the same way.
1: Right. I'm sort of trying to think of an analogy here of like, it's sort of like if you put the the most powerful engine in the planet inside of your car, but didn't have any gas in there that your car is not really going to go anywhere. So right. you right. got to have, there, there are other parts to driving it than, than just having um, a, a really rad engine. So, Okay. Now, in addition to the fact that you have the cornea that's got to break up light in a very particular way, there's also the fact that the retina, um, we talk about these cones, and these are essentially neurons that are stimulated by specific wavelengths, okay? And you have to have all of those things that are working and intact, and there's been some debate about the fact that all of those cones and those rods and everything that are in the back of our eyes, that are on our retina, that are at the fovea, where those nerves all connect to what's called the optic nerve, that... The optic nerve is is prepared to be able to send or it is stimulated by those colors so that it sends those colors to the brain. Um, or that visual stimulation, it's just connected to the brain, right? So when when that light strikes those cones, it stimulates those things, that message is connected to the brain, and that's where part of the processing also takes place in terms of how we see these colors. Going back to, like, way back when, when this was a thing, but the whole, like, blue and black versus yellow-gold dress thing, (laughs) you know, just just about the fact that some of these processes are really important to understand in the fact that they are... It requires a total connection to the rest of our body and that connection takes place in our brain and so some have argued that our optic nerve doesn't even have the bandwidth to handle extra colors so you'd have to not only have the extra cones and the retina that could display those extra colors onto the cones but the capacity of the optic nerve to carry that stimulation such that it could be reacted to by the rest of our body by the by the rest of our brain that just sounds like a lot of extra work to see ultraviolet light (laughs) well and then the other part of this that kind of stinks is that even with all of that our lenses um, our corneas do mostly seem to filter out all the wavelengths that are below a certain frequency which would include ultraviolet light so even with all of this we almost certainly wouldn't be able to see ultraviolet light all we'd really be able to see is a a greater differentiation in hues of those colors probably
2: so like everything would be in hd
1: yes exactly you see the whole world in HD. <laughs> that's the great way of putting it. <laughs> At least that would that would be the hope, I suppose. So yeah. Because you could also have like other things that impair vision that that go in there. So, all right. So there, those are all the things to talk about in terms of like understanding just sort of how our vision works, how that stuff is processed, and that's a that's a pretty brief rundown even in getting through that part of it. So I think it's important to understand sort of where the the history of this and how we've come to believe that this even exists and all that sort of thing.
0: So I found this I I just diving through links on the internet, I found a page that was about a five or six page write-up on this and the history. It's pretty cool. We're going to definitely include it in the show notes. And this write-up was by Jameson looks like a researcher. It looked like it was from a uh, maybe like a PhD dissertation or such. But she was pointing out this tetrachromacy began somewhere around the 1940s when they were starting to look at genetic studies and this inherited color vision deficiencies. They call it Daltonism. Did you hear this, either of you, looking this up? No. No. So apparently there's about 8% of Caucasian males. I believe that's where a lot of the research is, is why they make that discrimination. There that have some sort of color deficiency caused by inheritance and issues with the expression of the X chromosome. Is that
1: correct? Yeah, well, and Abraham? specifically the the genes associated with the photopigment on the X chromosome.
0: Yes. So the the takeaways there, 1940s this research started, but then it sounds like about 8% of people may have some sort of deficiency in certain color spectrums because of that process. So when it comes to that, it seems like we know less and less as with with the research lines, um, especially including like tetrachromacy. The interesting thing that I found here was she was saying that this is a having the possibility of this fourth cone makes it possible in theory that you could be able to then see more. But this is a like a necessary biological condition to be able to see them but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to see more and it sounds like that's generally accepted within the community so although you have them you have to be using them that is there needs to be some sort of history of actually i would say working within a culture that sees these these colors like you and actually you know using words around them much like you were talking about with the color brew
1: did you say blue or brew
0: blue Sounds like you said brew
1: (laughs) the color the color of beer just kidding (laughs) <laughs> That's an distinction. Um, you know, one thing I think that we forgot to mention when we talked about the fact that the prevalence of this is mostly probably around 1% of the population. I did see it could be between up to 1% to 3% of the population. And, of course, I mentioned that it could be half the population, just almost all of them aren't using it. But um, is that this is going to primarily affect women because the genetic expression of this occurs in the X chromosome. So if there's going to be someone who develops uh, tetrachromacy, it's more likely than not to be um, someone who is, is a woman and has the genetic marker for it in order to be able to distinguish between those colors. So I got interested in on like, how do they test for these? I found a sample
0: video that we're going to include. It's not from like any sort of, uh, it's a YouTube video. It's not like one that is used in these actual tests, but it gives you an idea of how they look for people being able to discriminate between different colors and whether or not they may or may not have this tetrachromacy. And just imagine. For the, those of you listening, like a two different colors left and right with some like overlay colors that so maybe you have like a a red on the left, a green on the right, and then you have some sort of shape. Usually, they either have bars or circles, and they would lay those over the same respective colors. So you maybe you have a red uh, circle that's overlaying on the red background color, and they would just slightly change the hues of those colors. To see if someone could discriminate, like what shape was actually there before they revealed it, like by outlining it and such, I found it interesting. Like there was some that I could see and some that I couldn't. But again, it like it wasn't a definitive test. I didn't find one. I don't know if you either of you did.
1: No, but you know something that's I've always been interested in in understanding, like our attempts to try and determine what the universe would look like if we had different a different type of vision is how would we know that the simulation we're coming up with is an accurate representation of what is actually occurring so let me give you an example we can't see infrared light but we invent cameras that are supposed to detect infrared light. And we can at least know that more or less infrared light occurs at a particular frequency inside of the electromagnetic spectrum. And so we can try and select the kind of lens and the kind of computer software that should be able to react to those kind of frequencies. And then what it's supposed to do is convert it into a frequency that's something that we can see. So when we look at an image that is of infrared, we're not actually seeing infrared. We're seeing a human who cannot see infrared we're seeing their attempt to teach a computer to distinguish infrared so that it will and and portray it in colors that we can see now that being said this is sort of one of those proof is in the pudding type of things if you have something that's infrared and you are all of a sudden seeing through walls because you are now seeing the the heat that exists as as part of the electromagnetic spectrum um, when you were looking at those, then you have some amount of evidence that the infrared thing that you're you're looking at is at least more or less working in a way. Whether or not that's what infrared would actually look like if we had it is unclear, uh, but it certainly does seem to more or less work. And so a related idea here is that if we were to try and create this test to determine whether or not someone could see those different hues, well, we have to assume that we're telling the computer correctly to distinguish to differentiate those colors so that it portrays them on a screen in such a way that someone could tell them apart and assume that the screen has the capability to push those kinds of colors because we haven't really designed screens with the capability to do that. And since we can't see them, we wouldn't be able to look at them and test them and actually know that we have correctly given it enough colors and range to differentiate those colors. So it's hard to I always just get a little bit skeptical and not to say that even I think that they're wrong, but it's, it always makes me sort of wonder, how, how do we know that we're really measuring what we think we're measuring when we can't detect the thing that we're supposed to be measuring? We just sort of have to rely on what we think we know about what's probably going on here and then assume that we have the technology to make that representation so that we can sort of see it, if that makes sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no. I mean, every every tool that we use for that is simply uh, like some kind of synthesis of what we think it is like right it's like a it's like going back to like when they when they study like when they go back into anthropology and stuff like that and they kind of understand a little bit but it's just kind of like a like a copy or like a not like a copy but like just kind of like um like if something is lost in the translation along the way always we have to be skeptical of that like something is missing at that point
1: right yeah that reminds me um just thinking back, and we've talked about all the different ways to like look inside someone's body using the fMRI or the PET scan or the CAT scan, the CT scan, that sort of thing, and that those things rely on a lot of the computer doing sort of a statistical analysis of the what's essentially being produced by shooting these sort of uh, these rays, usually these X rays most of the time through someone's body, and so then we have to have the computer turn that that into an image that we can make some sort of sense of and um, that there can be some breakdown in the technology because like we just don't we're sort of calibrating based on something that we're not actually seeing we sort of got to rely on what's happening and then be like okay well this seems to be the thing that's that's sort of occurring and so we'll, we'll take that at face value because we don't have anything else to rely on we don't have anything else to turn to but yeah so that's just something i think is interesting yeah no, for sure. Okay, so maybe the big question here is, we've already talked about the fact that this doesn't necessarily seem to potentially affect a lot of people, even those who have what they might call, quote-unquote, functional tetrachromacy. Now, there was one blog I stumbled across that was really interesting. I was reading someone who, they were just describing their experience with um, having tetrachromacy and what they see. And they gave this description of looking at like light shining through a window and having all of these different colors in the light. Like they're saying, I see these blues and whites and the sort of yellow blue color and gray and pink, and that uh, snow looks really colorful to them, and that they see not just in the snow, but like these different sort of shades of opal. Um, And that uh, rainbows to them have just like these hundreds of different colors that they can see all sort of blending together across the whole thing. And so that's that's how they describe their experience with this. Uh, Some of it, I, I don't know. It just seems like... Uh, we talked about the, the biology of of being able to see these colors and that you have you need to have like the, the retina and the cones and the optic nerve and the, the brain that's all prepared for this. You probably need to have the verbal community that's ready to um, describe the differences in those colors, but you also have to have the colors out there to distinguish them. And so it's sort of like something that's painted red is painted red and there might be hues in there and little shades and stuff that we're not seeing differently, but um, it's, it's, I wonder the extent to which you can have something that has a particular color, and somebody like, oh yeah, that's got a thousand colors in it that I can see. And I'm wondering like where, where it coming from. You know, I can actually maybe understand it in something that's white because white is just reflecting all the colors, right? And so if if white is a good surface to reflect all the colors, then it would reflect more of those colors. So white might look a little bit more colorful. But other things that are just like a color. Um, I'm wondering how many colors could exist inside that color and still be able to make them all look different. And and maybe I'm completely wrong. You know, it's entirely possible that like I'm assuming that when we we paint with something that looks monochromatic to us, that we are actually blending a whole bunch of colors that we just don't see. Like that could be a thing. Maybe a mantis shrimp would like come into my house and be like, "Ew, this place is gross. Like, you are terrible at you are terrible at painting, sir." That is that is too um,
2: much mustard yellow. <laughs>
1: So I think one thing to talk about in here, too, is just how this might generally affect our actions and our behavior. And we have already sort of alluded to the fact that for many people, it probably doesn't really very much. And one analog we can potentially look to is looking at how people who have that colorblindness, how they respond differently to the world and how like they sort of see things. And they they get by fine. Like they have normal lives. They just they adapt to react to certain colors, um, or the fact that they don't see those colors in a little bit of a different way, I knew a, a friend of mine in high school who was colorblind, and he would just write the colors next to things so that he always knew what he was supposed to be using. Um, and I thought that was kind of clever, you know, like it was just, you know, he found a way around it, he found a workaround. Yeah. And so, with with an extra cone, these people could potentially distinguish from uh, between colors that look identical. And just going back to the thing I said is like, maybe if they see two. Swatches of red to them They look like different colors Because they can see something that I can't see So they might be able to make those distinctions Um, And they also therefore might prefer Different color combinations than someone who is just A a trichromat Um, And they also might be able then to react a little bit stronger To differences in shades and hues And and different colors that that people simply can't see I always wonder if something like Food that's toxic or something Might have a a color to it that's very particular That a a human tetrachromat would be able to see And and not others (laughs) Um, but they're mostly – they're not going to be able – this isn't like uh, they see your aura. Like they're not seeing in other dimensions and mystical things that aren't there. Like that's not – that's just not available, And especially with an aura because it's not real. But, you know, <laughs> generally having the extra cone, being able to actually functionally use it is going to alter the extent to which we have a particular context we can react to in a particular way to an extent. So that's a lot of caveats you can hear in there the way that I said that, that we – Will uh, that someone who has this um, the tetrachromacy they live in a somewhat different world in that they just have more stimuli that they can react to visually so that might have a subtle effect on their behavior and it might have a more apparent effect where it's it's pretty pretty distinguished for them but for the most part it seems like this probably is not going to dramatically change the extent to which someone behaves. Um, but if you are a tetrachromat, I would love to hear from you. So please, write. yes,
0: that'd be such a cool follow-up part two. Yeah, for real. All right. So the question is, I think, where do we go next? And if you want to learn more about this, we have the links in the show note that we described, but also this general thought of just, we need a lot more research around this, right? It's, I understand why we don't have a lot of it given the prevalence rates, but
1: man, this is like a
0: potential superhuman power that we could be researching,
1: right? (laughs) (laughs) That'd be cool. I, I think I would want to have to, uh, tetrachromacy. You know, I think that would be cool.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, I'm getting more and more into like video work and like imagining the possibility of having just more to work with Was is crazy, you know? Yeah. When you're talking about multiplying it from like a potential quote million shades or colors to like a hundred million. Wow. Like um, that could be so cool. I
2: yeah. wonder if there's anybody out there that has tetrachromacy and synesthesia.
1: Oh yeah, that's an interesting thought.
2: That would be mind blowing. Like I think that would be too yeah. much stimuli for anybody to handle. Yeah,
1: <laughs> maybe they're maybe they handle they that they great. they I smell know, over that. a
2: million colors.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think the last thing on here is uh, it'd be really cool to see, and, and maybe this exists. I didn't really find anything, but um, if human uh tetrachromats if those people who who do have tetrachromacy could start working together to help develop the language around these different uh colors that they can distinguish so that they can have a more robust way of just uh communicating their experience with with that and i think that'd be potentially a really neat way to start to facilitate some of that research as well yeah yeah sure so
0: tetrachromats unite (laughs) exactly
1: Well, I think that's there's not that much left to sort of wrap this home with. You know, I think uh, just understanding sort of that we touched on how vision works, which I think we've alluded to before, but this is probably the most in depth that we've gone. Um, we didn't really talk about how we can tell that animals see the certain colors that they see, but it's a, it's a pretty simple behavioral test. We'll talk about probably later. And uh, I think that's I, I don't know. You guys have anything else you want to just sort of like this is the leave this episode thinking about this type of type of advice. What do you got? The world could have so much
0: more color towards it potentially but we just don't know how to communicate
1: it with each other so that's just a cool thing to think about right
2: yeah, yeah. the language yeah. of color i think that's great so
1: i wonder if if CRISPR or cas9 could like alter my genes so that i have a, a tetrachromatic, tetrachromatic <laughs> vision i don't know that'd be neat
0: things i'll consider doing when i start having children <laughs> I'm joking yeah so probably not probably <laughs> yeah. not going to be total joke everybody
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, cool. Right, cool I think that's well, it has got nothing else cool nah.
0: yeah this is yep. Ryan O this is Abraham and this is Shane we're out
3: you've been listening to Why We Do What We Do why we do what we do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreoncom podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at wwwddpodcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes